I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Skull Day, 18th Cycle, 7th Year, 81st turn. 39th day in the trees. Four days we have been travelling in this swamp. This is the first day we have found a place dry enough that I dared open the journal to write. Never have I seen so much water. There is very little ground, only small islands. Those islands have grown fewer and fewer as we walked further through. We are walking on a wooden path now since the land has been swallowed by this water. At first, there was only a bridge here and another there, where water collected at one place or another. Then there was much more water, and the bridges became more numerous. Then the path was a series of bridges, punctuated by little spots of land, peeking above the water. Now the path is tied to the trees, or there is no longer enough land to support it. The trees are as large as any others I have seen, save the red giants. Not in height, for they do not rise that high above us, but in breadth. Some grow through the water, like giant reeds, while others float on rafts made from their roots and other debris. The water is deep. I am not certain how deep, for it is muddy, but I have seen large animals moving below us, appearing as shadows in the water. There are insects everywhere. They range from small midges barely visible to dragonflies as long as my forearm. Suja sometimes jumps at them as they pass by. Once she frightened me by nearly falling over the side. I rushed to rescue her, but she regained her balance. Even the water is strange, for it grows deeper and shallower as the day progresses. Twice a day, it changes its depth. 
I read through this part twice, and I remain amazed. If I understand correctly, this means that Aphromos traveled through the legendary Swampsea, a place that has eluded explorers for centuries. It never reaches the path, but sometimes it is close enough that I can reach it with my tail. Other times, I would have to hang by my feet from the edge of the path to reach the water below us. It is very unnerving to me. Torn thinks it is normal. But what if it does not stop rising one morning? What if it continues rising until we are covered? What if one of those shadows comes along then? I never thought that water could be frightening. Erev Day, 18th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 40th day in the trees. I had not expected to find anyone living in this terrible swamp, but today we have found an entire town. The town is called Pelavapal, and it has over 500 inhabitants. There have always been stories of a town or city in the Swamp Sea, but this is the first I have heard in connection to Pelavapal, one of the ten towns listed in the Ravelwoods Covenant. This would indeed confirm that the Swamp Sea is part of the woods and not a connected world. The ones who live here are well suited to their home. They are scaled as am I, but they look much more like fish, with fins along their sides and back, and webbed hands and feet. They walk upright, but seem much more comfortable in the water. Despite this, they built a number of structures that, like the path, hang from the trees. These buildings are comfortable enough. There is an inn, two other places for meals, and a place for trading. There are also two buildings belonging to a family of creatures unlike the other inhabitants, being furred rather than scaled. The majority of the town, however, is below. At least, that is what they have told us, and I see no reason to doubt their word. They swim from one part of the town to the other. They prefer to live in their homes below, but take their meals on the surface, preferring their food cooked. They grow some sort of foods below, plants and mollusks. These are strange foods, but they do not taste poorly. They say that they can take others down below as well, using metal spheres, to buildings where they have trapped bubbles of air. Torn wishes to see this, but I am nervous. To have so much water below us is bad enough. To have it surrounding us from all sides? Still, I am curious. I wish to know what sort of buildings they have, and they have promised that many surfaces, their term for those who live above the water, have made the descent and all have returned to breathe air again. I must trust them that I will survive it. We are paying for all of this with torn stories and my metalwork. I am not a smith, but my first father taught me enough to be a decent fairbock. Fairbock is roughly equivalent to tinker or farrier. The word is actually Tresian, referring to the itinerant metal workers who travelled from place to place in search of work. Naturally, the nomadic barrow feel a certain kinship to them, more so than with the usual Tresians they encounter in Nalifron. The people of this village have kept us both very busy. Torn tells them of things that have happened far away, 
He is telling them now of a war between two nations, started by, of all things, an animal. Apparently, one of these nations had a very special animal, called a bull. The other nation wanted this creature, and they fought over it. It ended in the death of a powerful hero, who in the end fought while tied to a boulder until he finally expired. Outsiders are so very strange. Tresday, 18th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 41st day in the trees. We have made the descent, and I am glad that we did. This morning, after I had made from brass a cover for a lantern, one of the large-eyed inhabitants of this place tugged on my sleeve and led me to a larger building I had not yet entered. I learned that it had very little floor, only around the edges of the building in fact. The rest was open to the water. In the water were several metal spheres of varying sizes. I was told they were called bathyspheres. They were tied to machinery in the ceiling, used to lower and raise them as needed. Torn and I were led into one of the larger spheres, which opened on the side. We entered, and an older man, we learned that the men of these people are the ones with bright spots along their sides where the females have large eye-shaped spots on their backs, closed the door, which was lined with a soft substance I am told seals away water. Then the descent began. I felt the downward motion in my stomach and feared for a moment that I would be sick. However, when I looked out, I forgot all about my digestion. Out the little window at my side, I saw the water move over the sphere. We were under the water, but true to our host's words, we were perfectly safe. The water was murky and dim, but today is, I am told, a very clear day in the swamp, and we could see several massive trees. I had not realised just how large these trees are, though I had already known they were giants. They stretched above the surface perhaps four to six times my height, but we learned that the greatest part of the tree is under the water. In the distance, I saw the dim shapes of our hosts moving about, and a few other, larger shapes. One of them swam close, and I saw that it was a strange creature, as long in body as I am tall. It had a rough hide, with sparse bristles. It had two thick, pudgy fins on either side of its body, and at the end of its tail was a single, round fin. Its mouth had a very thick upper lip and whiskers, giving it an almost comic expression. It stared at us for a moment, and then swam off. Our hosts say that they eat the underwater plant life. They have to be chased away from the water farms, but are useful in keeping other areas clear. We soon saw lights under us, and then we saw the buildings themselves. These buildings, we are told, are built from the shells of great creatures that crawl across the bottom of the swamp. When they need a new building, they lure one of these creatures near the town and kill it. They take the meat as a delicacy and use the shell to make a new building. The shells are huge spiral things. Doors are cut into chambers, which are then used as rooms. If air is needed inside, they bring it down using long tubes and devices that move the air. These machines, I am told, simple constructs, much like the ones they use in the north 
powered by magic words and designs. But that was not what I saw when I saw the buildings. Instead, I saw light. Light in carefully sculpted patterns. Light made almost solid against the clouded water. It was in many colours, all shades of reds, greens, blues, purples. No yellows or oranges, though. Most were made in spirals on the shelves, so as to work with the natural shapes there. On the trees, though, were pictures like we have on carpets. They showed heroes and hunters fighting great beasts or enemies. There were also scenes of, I am told, great and famous lovers. Not knowing how these people express romance, I must take their word for it. The largest building was a great dome. It was not made from a shell, but rather from cement, a living thing they call swamp coral, and many thousands of lights. They were not in the shape of a story, or of abstract shapes. Instead, it showed what I am told is a world. Their world, before they were forced to leave it. The Barrow, unlike many other cultures in that part of the world, believe the world is round and, in fact, held that belief centuries before Clepius's calculations proved it was not merely round, but gave the circumference. However, they should not be given too much credit, as it was merely religion and not proper science. It shows a map covered mostly with water, with islands marked in green or red light. The sea itself was not solid blue or green, but a swirl with mountains and valleys as on the land. The great building they called the Cathedra Verti, and I could not take my eyes from it. It rested like a gem, rising from the muck of the swamp. We were taken to a somewhat larger building, though it was dwarfed by the Cathedra. This one was unusual in that, rather than being on the ground, it was actually hanging from the trees like the buildings below. But where they hung down off the trees, this hung up above the places where it was tied, as though it might fly upwards if those restraints were cut. Several tubes poked out of the entrance, before leading upward. The sphere stopped alongside this building shell, near the entrance. We felt a bump on its side, and as it was manoeuvred by those outside, so that it was under the entrance, and then lifted up. The door opened and we found ourselves in a room something like the one in which we had entered the sphere, though much smaller. We climbed out of the sphere and swam the short distance to a ledge where we could climb up into the building proper. There were a great many stairs, the spiral was vertical, to hold the air in. We could see that, at least on the inside, these shells are very soft, slightly pinkish-white, it was lit by strange lamps on the wall. They produced no smoke, but produced a reasonable amount of light. When I looked more closely, I found that they were filled with water and contained what looked like glowing gemstones glued to the bottom. Our hosts, who had climbed out of the water when we had, explained that these were actually creatures that produced light. They were the same things that produced the light patterns on the outside of the shelves. There were also windows made of thick glass, stained in reds, blues, greens and purples. 
the different panes of glass were held together with a cement, which they also use for sealing off parts of the shells. The rest of the building was fairly unremarkable. There were a few rooms for those who wished to sleep there, but little else. We took the sphere back up the surface, and I returned to the inn, where Suja jumped on me, and now will not leave my side. She did not seem to like my absence. A Wanderer's Guide to First Aid in the Library Aquatic Regions From the office of the Wanderer's Library Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Noreen Ray Splish Splash, Wanderer! It's time for you to dive deeper into your quest for knowledge. But delving into the depths of information and mystery can lead to uncertain and dangerous tides. And we'd hate to see any of our patrons sink into their research without knowing how to safely conduct themselves. Worry not, our outstanding medical team is here to throw you a lifeline. With this guide at your side and a bit of luck, you'll avoid the most common afflictions and have nothing but smooth sailing on your visit to our library's aquatic regions. Thought Bubbles Have you ever had a thought you just couldn't get out of your head? Perhaps a catchy tune or saying. You might have come down with a case of thought bubbles. Despite the silly name, there's a lot more to thought bubbles than what those comics would have you believe. Caused by high water pressure, thought bubbles are small pockets of thoughts and memories that get trapped in one's mind. Commonly presenting as migraines, pressure behind the eyes, or popping in the ears, many wanderers tend to ignore the signs as traditional consequences of deep water travel. If left alone to fester, thought bubbles will grow, ending with explosive outcomes. Sadly, this is a common occurrence for inexperienced patrons trying to travel to areas they aren't prepared for. Nobody wants to be the party pooper that makes a mess in the water, so if you have something on your mind that you can't quite shake, try coming up for some air. The bubbles will eventually fade from the lack of pressure, free from any lingering after-effects. Or if you're feeling a tad cheeky, a solid smack to the back of the head can create enough of a jolt to burst the bubble. Just be careful that your helping hand doesn't land you in trouble with the watchful eyes of our staff. Alternatively, there are third-party vendors you can pay to extract thought bubbles for you. These artisans use a special resin mixture to coat the bubble to prevent it from popping, making a one-of-a-kind snow globe. A perfect and unique gift for that special someone. Soul Leeches Have you ever rushed to grab your favourite book only to lose energy halfway there? It may not be your fault. Soul leeches are a naturally occurring parasite found in aquatic regions of the library. Translucent and very hard to notice in dark waters, these 5cm long nuisances have a tendency to latch on to unaware patrons. 
soul leeches feed off the life forces or magical energies of their victims. I know most readers would think that sounds pretty spooky, but the energy drained is negligible, unless you're unfortunate enough to attract a swarm. It's easy enough to notice if you've caught the attention of some soul leeches, not only by the pain you'd feel, but also by the sight. The leeches undergo physical changes while they feed, using the energy they feast on to glow in gorgeous rainbow hues. Schools of these glowing terrors are known to provide awe-inspiring sights in the deeper recesses of the deep water areas. Soul leeches will simply fall off and swim away after they've had their fill. We don't recommend you try to cut them off or remove them as that may damage your own soul. Instead, try luring them away with a non-organic magic source as that's often all it takes for a patron to be left alone. Distracting the leeches without allowing them to feed is your best option. We sell biodegradable magic light orbs to improve vision while browsing the shelves, which also act as leech bait. If you're interested in buying one, ask the nearest page or docent for directions to the nearest medical office. Crease Curses Some of our human patrons might remember the times they went swimming and ended up with wrinkly skin on the pads of their fingers and toes, a silly result of getting wet. But don't be fooled, my dear reader, because crease curses are much more nefarious than that. These curses are contracted in areas with high magical energy density. As the energy gets absorbed, the skin begins to wrinkle. Early stages look like average water-wrinkled skin and can easily be missed. If allowed to progress, the later stages will lead to the entire body crumpling in on itself. Quite a lethal experience for most patrons. Crease curses, thankfully, are easy enough to resolve, given enough time. All you need to do is dry off, so to speak. Simply leaving the area and allowing the excess energy to leave your system will cure the curse. Those of a more daring disposition may be inclined to use soul leeches to drain the curse away. While we of the medical team can appreciate a patron's dedication to their reading and the determination to not waste time away from the book of your dreams, we don't recommend this treatment option. The number of leeches required to effectively treat this condition would far outweigh any benefits gained in time saved. Gill Lung Adventurous terrestrial patrons visiting aquatic regions should take heed. There's no time to stop and take a breather when it comes to your health, especially if you end up developing a case of gill lung, a terrible condition exclusive to all non-aquatic species of patrons who venture too deep into our halls. The respiratory system, traditionally lungs, trachea, etc., is spontaneously swapped with a set of gills. The transformation is non-lethal as the gills are fully functional, but tends to be quite shocking to most and often horribly painful to undergo. If your travels take you to the deepest trenches in search of your prize and you start noticing the pages with the hermit crab-like shells, you should take it as a sign to turn back. Currently, there is no existing cure for gill lung. 
wanderers can make an appointment at one of our medical offices for organ replacement surgery. Due to the extensive and invasive nature of the procedure, we of the medical team would suggest any afflicted patrons thoroughly consider all the risks before opting for this route. If surgery is not an option for whatever reason, our medical team would be happy to provide reading materials or schedule therapy sessions to help get wanderers informed and acclimated to their new submerged lifestyle. Now, don't you feel better prepared for your trip to the library? We hope the information in this guide will help keep you safe the next time you take a dive by the library. Don't forget to keep an eye out for our other guides on your visit. Happy reading! This pamphlet is for general instruction only. The Wanderers Library takes no official responsibility for any disease, natural illness, or cases of drowning a patron may experience during their stay here. The Wanderers Library does not encourage nor dissuade air-breathing patrons, patrons who cannot swim, etc., from visiting our aquatic regions. Visit these areas at your own risk. Please consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions about the contents of this guide or schedule an appointment with one of our physicians today. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aframos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wiki.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Lan2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderers Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderers Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.